Do you think we said final enough times? I'm not sure people are going to know it's the final episode, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did we say it that many times? I'm really like... No, it's fine. Opens up thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good, man. It's all good. Welcome to Plants in Our Health. I'm Tom. I'm Helena. I'm Aaron. So this is our final Plants in Our Health episode. We've reached episode 10 of 10. And for this week, we're giving you a longer episode, treating you all to some extra minutes for a special series finale. And who do we have joining us for this final episode, Aaron? Our final Plants in Our Health guest, helping us to conclude in style, is Carlos Magdalena. Carlos is a senior horticulturalist at Royal Botanic Garden Kew, and is also fondly known as the Plant Messiah for his renowned efforts conserving some rare and difficult to grow species using his horticultural expertise. He's also the author of a book on his plant-saving adventures, which is also called The Plant Messiah, and is very much a man on a mission to protect plants from extinction, and to convince others to take notice and do what they can. Sweet, let's do this thing. Okay, so great to have you on the podcast, Carlos. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, well, my name is Carlos Magdalena, and... I work in the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew with tropical plants. Uh, I am uh, a science and horticulture assistant. They call me the plant Masaya. Oh, media persona, which I used to talk about plant conservation and how little we know about plants and how many are losing. So that's me. Yeah, you may be underselling yourself there saying, I talk about these things you know you have you've written a book about it and you've given quite a lot of interviews i think there's the plant messiah is quite an active guy well uh, it, it was all kind of a situation which uh, happened to evolve over over time basically i managed to reproduce a few plants which were famous for not being able to to thrive and uh, i was lucky enough to get some media interest out of it and then course atembro came to do a series in the documentaries in, in Kew Gardens made me an interview and you know if there is an influencer that's that man and he he pre introduced me to the audiences as the plumas um from there on it was kind of like a bit of a roller coaster but I tried to use the, the attention uh, especially at a time where there wasn't so many kind of plant influencers try to drive the conversation towards plant conservation. And yeah, it has been interesting because then that led to a book. It's interesting how, as a result of the book, then more projects and more traveling happen. So I consider myself lucky to be able to bring the Botanic Garden Touch into the, the media every now and then, if I can. Yeah, the momentum is really exciting. And as a horticulturalist, you're well-placed to really bring this series to a conclusion. Today, we're going to be talking about the role of horticulture in conservation and really the future of plants and how important horticulture is going to be for conservation. Great. And I'm hoping that you're going to be able to demystify the, the idea of horticulture and conservation a little bit. Your career is really quite at the intersection of the two, isn't it? But it's not the same for every horticulturalist. 
Yes, it's, a, it's funny how, for example, if you ask a Spanish person horticulture, automatically I think they, they think of veggie plots and growing tomatoes and things like this. If you mention this in the UK, automatically you're a gardener, which part of it is true, but I think it goes beyond that. One example is with horticulture in botanic gardens, where you walk halfway through between being a a scientist and a gardener, but then if you think about it, horticulture is such a complex topic. It, it covers so many different aspects, you know, you, if you think about it, you require your bit of chemistry, your bit of aesthetics and design, your bit of geography, your bit of climate, your bit of physics, very importantly, like for example, if you put a a planting a black pot in the summer is going to get hotter, and if you put it in a metallic one, it's going to freeze to death. Uh, these things is kind of like a lot of applied science, and I think that's the key for what we are trying to discuss now. And it seems to me that in, in botanic gardens, very often, the conservation bit is done by the science. And obviously, the science has a huge role, and is very well needed, but When you want to do something, it's impossible to miss the horticultural element of it. Uh, you can make a paper saying that this species is endangered, and then you need to have more forest, and then you need to... Anytime you take an action, is going to involve a nursery, it's going to involve uh, some kind of management of the forest. And I think we are the missing link, you know, between the paper and the ground there will need to be a horticulturist. And very often, very often the problem to restore a habitat is not so much the science behind. It's the fact that you may have to raise two and a half million trees, bring them up the hill and establish them the first year. Or it may involve how do we eradicate a, a very invasive tropical aquatic plant. And also if you think about it, like very often we see how they publish a paper on the micropropagation of a plant and they they publish another paper about uh, how to store seeds or something. But then, at the end of the day, if we are not going to grow this plant or we are not going to bring it out of the fridge, then it becomes a bit pointless. So, so yeah, I think uh, I think there is a huge role out there for not only horticulturists in the botanic gardens, also for even amateur growers, as you probably are very aware. In this country, gardening is very big, and many people has one. Uh, also, now we have these trends of uh, people having house plants. We also have trends of people having planted aquarium tanks and even uh, aquariums with corals. No, I believe these people and these facilities they have, even though they maybe are small, they could be really important to to become a kind of um, reservoir of species and, and also knowledge and things that they find out about how to do one thing or the other. Because the size of the challenge we, we face is, is just humongous. You know, it's like, even if we all try our best, uh, we are not enough. And I don't know, I guess that we need a sort of plan, Masai, Agai, uh, which not, you know, It doesn't necessarily need to be an Spanish folk with glasses, which works on cue, but we need many more <laughs> people like this. Even though it sounds maybe arrogant because I'm putting myself as an example, I think it's clearly the case that we need a lot of people which is enthusiastic, which really want to grow things to try to help with this. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. It's 
we can't really underestimate how much impact we could have by getting excited about plants and making it a mainstream thing to be really into plants and having everyone who's interested in growing something or taking care of something, having that bit of knowledge about how they could do that in the best way and do that in a way that does help out. I really like the idea of everyone being home growers, having a reservoir of of plants and knowledge that can help conservation efforts. Yes, because um, if you think about the scale of the problem we have, we, we, we are talking about two out of five species of plants going extinct. Hey, I don't think botanic gardens obviously have a huge role to play into this, but I, I don't think any help will be enough. At the end of the day, everybody which is into this business is because they probably were on it as an amateur person before. And that's part one. And part two is because their parents already were into this. So if suddenly you get now somebody interested in the plants, which perhaps their family wasn't, it's not only one person interested, but he's going to infect the hobby into somebody else's and perhaps into his kids. They are going to have a better understanding of how all of this works and they are going to learn about what a plant needs. Because that's exactly the problem with plant conservation. You see, it's very easy to feel some sort of uh, compassion with a panda bear which is looking sad. Oh, it's a panda bear. Look at, you know, and... And yeah, for sure. Because it's basically they have two eyes, two ears, they move with legs and they have the same needs that we do. They need to eat, they need to find a partner, they need to... They look like they need a hug. Yeah, <laughs> they, need, they need a hug. Yes, it's all these things, you know, and even dolphins like being uh, padded. Uh, but with plants, oh, it's a plant, it's there. It's just like if I tell you this is a lamp, you know, in the corner of your room, you will see it in the same way. It's an object which has some shapes. It's not obvious what the plant is doing. And by growing, then, then you realize all these crazy strategies and changes they do at a microscopic level and at many other levels, even in the roots, which you only maybe get to see twice a year when you report it. And then if you, if you grow, then, then it's when you start realizing that there is more to plants than it looks originally, isn't it? Um, and that perhaps they are even more amazing than animals. And you start maybe realizing that well, actually, maybe the panda is boring because it's like me. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you realize that there is other other ways of of living and adapting. You see, like uh, and, uh, something I found very interesting is like how the panda bear and us, when there is a problem, we run away. You know, like oh, run. You know, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what you do. Uh, you avoid the problem. Bye. And you go up in the tree, or you go down the hill, or you jump yourself into the water, and then you solve everything by escaping the problem. But plants, they don't. They just uh, sit and wait. And you may eat everything which is above ground, but you are not getting me underground. And you may eat me now, but in five minutes you're going to be kind of hallucinating on the floor, not able to walk, and a predator is going to come and eat you. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, it's fine that you have eaten me, but then actually you have eaten also my seeds and then I am using you to spread me more than before. Uh, so they are, the, they are the real deal when problem solving needs to be done. And therefore, this is very interesting for you because then if you know 20,000 plants, you know 20,000 solutions to every single problem. You know, everything. How to protect from UV light, how to protect from being eaten, how to get into the other side of the planet floating or flying. And then, yeah, once you go down that rabbit hole, it's just like never ending, you know? It's just like 
you can do space travel from your windowsill, you know, kind of like you get, you will be transported to other planets and other realities, just perhaps looking at a, at a structure of a plant. It's, I find it quite fascinating. Yeah, it was one of the things for me that certainly changed my direction in being interested in plants more was just when somebody said to me, think about the existence of plants. They have to be in one place. They have to solve all their problems from being in one place and they can't run away. They have, they've got to get their food. They've got to get their sex. They've got to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. they've, they've got to do it all stuck right there and they do it really successfully. Yes, and they transform the place. You know, um, an oak or a seed of a sequoia in California is planning for the next 3,000 years. You know, it first goes and puts a roots and goes down and try to get water further down, establish a contact with a fungi, connects to another plant which helps them to send signals of something. And then 30 years later, a place which was in the sun, which uh, didn't have much nutrients, uh, becomes a forest which has a canopy of maybe 30 meters tall. It has an incredible cushion of uh, organic matter and network of animals, fungi, bacteria, you name it. All of a sudden, that place is not the place it was before. And in the process, they are fixing carbon dioxide, which is the real nightmare at the moment. So, you know, sometimes I think myself, oh, well, you know, I'm always going on about this thing of plants. Maybe I should chill out. No, actually, I shouldn't, you know, because <laughs> probably it's... Not, not no, yet. Probably not, no, 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 no. Yeah, because it's just like um, when when you have this, this thought, maybe what happened is just like uh, you haven't really realized how true the statement that they are important for us is, you know, because I don't even realize it myself. It's so important that I cannot even see it. It's in so many aspects. It's just like incredible, you know? Like, for example, the pandemia. Oh, pandemia comes along. Oh, what's the solution? Solution, vaccine. All of a sudden, we have several vaccines. Okay, let's look at the vaccines then. Well, apparently, a few of them have an extract from a tree from Chile, the Saponaria tree. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently, basically, when you get this into the blood, your immune cells go for it straight away, saying like, oh, what's this? And then uh, if you have these uh, proteins of the spikes, for the body to realize, uh, to realize it, it has to feel a bit under attack. So then apparently they attach these spikes to this extract from this tree, which uh, makes the, the immunitary body to go for it and actually find the spike. So there you go. A tree has been the solution. And interestingly, they used to use it for, for treatments of many diseases for millennia in Chile. So it's kind it of tends like... to be the trend, yeah. Yeah. The latest thing is the oldest thing. And then I was reading about the AstraZeneca, and they say that is a cold virus from chimpanzee, which has been modified to contain parts of the COVID-19. So you think, oh, they are fixing it then with a virus. You see, you don't need plants. Well, there wouldn't be a cold virus for a, from a chimp if there was no chimps. And if you know a little bit about chimps, the first thing you realize is that the variety of plants they need to survive is just like incredible, you know, because they use some species to clean their bum when they have a poo. They use another one to maybe right. flick some, <laughs> yeah, some things yeah. to get the stuff out of the teeth. They use other plants to get themselves the worm. They self-medicate with the plants. Yeah. So, which, uh, which that make me realize uh, something, you know, is just like in conservation, we are often having this conversation about like, oh, well, you know, we may have to choose what has to stay and what has to go. 
And I thought, mm -hmm. first of all, that is so arrogant that you cannot believe it. So yeah, let's sit here and decide who lives and dies. Like if you have any choice. And the second one is like, no, you actually, you cannot do that. You just can't. You just can't. It's, it's technically impossible because to keep the biodiversity going, the best way is to keep the biodiversity going. Basically, yeah. if if you start removing bits, then the whole thing will collapse. So basically, it's interesting too how the most useful things out there are the ones which we care the least, the least you know. Um, who is interested about phytoplankton? <laughs> you know some people but not uh, not not everyone <laughs> no but mostly because uh, you cannot even see it right Th does that make sense uh, i yeah. bet that if we could have here in the windowsill some flash with some green waters from phytoplankton from different places but you have some technology that it project the phytoplankton operating and moving on the roof of your room that we will be all here watching it for hours you know yeah yeah true uh, so you cannot understand why you cannot see and you cannot be interested about something that you cannot participate with. But the truth is uh, probably about half of the oxygen I used for all this talk already has been produced by phytoplankton. Yeah. Um, then next one, seagrasses. Who cares about seagrasses? You know? Uh, oh, well, no, no, it looks like a grass, but it's under the sea. Well, again, they produce tons of oxygen. There wouldn't be any fish and chips left if it wasn't because them. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the kind of thing that even people that knows it and people that study it doesn't even realize in their daily life, no? In myself first. We, yeah. we stop and think, and, oh, yeah, that's right. And then three minutes later, back to business. So, so yeah. And the thing is, to the whole idea that there is a choice in here. If that makes sense, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to choose to preserve plants. Well, what is the alternative? If, if that makes sense, what is the alternative of of uh, not giving a, a, a toss about all of this? Um, it, it's not a choice. It's what we really have to do. Um, yeah, I think thinking about a future without that as an option um, is not going to be much of a future at all. No, the most lucky scenario will be that we have a miserable life because just look at all the all the consequences of climate change and and it's amazing, no? How how this is late because climate change alone is going to make pretty much uh, most of our biodiversity extinct. Now, assume that we stop climate change, which is a massive challenge. Well, most of our biodiversity is going to be disappearing, even though there wasn't climate change, because we are destroying the habitats day and night, because we are poisoning the rivers. It's just a surprise that it's 2025 and there is anything alive in Europe. You know, it's, it's kind of like almost shocking. Um, 2025, did you say? Uh, sorry, 2000, yeah, 2021. 2021? <laughs> yes. Is it 2025 uh, already? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 honestly, I don't really know because, you know, uh, with this thing of the COVID... It has been a while. Yeah, been a while, well, yeah. this thing of the COVID is just like sometimes I really have to think about like, first of all, is it Tuesday or if it's Sunday? Is it March already or is it still February? Because, you know, the sun comes out and it looks like May, but then the rain yeah. comes and it looks like January. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of surprising that we are still at the point we, we, that we are. If that makes sense? Because we have tried our best to, to kind of destroy and take and, and change and alter everywhere, no? Yeah. 
uh, one of the things I wanted to pick up on what you were saying was um, that, you know, we often have to choose which plants we can serve. And sometimes we do it by their uses, by how we know them and what they can give for humans or what they can give for an ecosystem. But I really respect the approach that you'd sometimes take of specifically looking at the rare plants and the unexplored plants that we don't know and trying to really include them in the discussion because obviously if we can conserve everything then that's fantastic but it's really important to not leave unexplored things out of the discussion that we just don't even know you know what they could be providing yeah the thing is like um I am a firm believer that every single species has many uses, and the least you know the use, the more the potential is hidden in there. It's, it's complex. First of all, you don't know what you need later. You know, you don't know what you are going to need in the future. How do we know what is useful then? That makes sense. Yeah, it's 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 quite amazing, you know, because yeah. the problem now, for example, we know is climate change. The problem now is. Uh, population growing exponentially, pandemias, all of this. But maybe the problem later is something else. And therefore, this is just like uh, going to a, an artist and tell him, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Picasso, you know, your room is a mess. You have too many cans of paint and watercolors and oil colors, all of this. No, 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 no. Choose uh, watercolor or oil and white, black, red, yellow, and blue. And with that, you can make a lot of colors, can you? You know, and he will go like, well, yeah, but sometimes in the sketch I use charcoal and, and then sometimes I put acrylic and then what about if the paint is going to be outside? I will need to then paint it in this other way. This will be pretty much the same. So no artist with a brain will think that, um, yeah, reducing his palette of uh, colors and paintbrushes is going to make it a better artist and certainly not forever and for the future no no because you know uh, i don't know some artists like miro which was abstract always use primary yellow primary red primary blue but then picasso had a gray period and then rembrandt uses the light blah 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 you 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 simply don't know what you are going to need so that's part one. Part two, we discussed this already, is the, the, that's not the way the ecosystems work. The ecosystems work into a, into a balance created by thousands of relationships, even from items that we don't know that they are there. But they are there. They are there breeding, they are there eating some pests, they are there creating a pest. So, so, so yeah, I, I, and also, I, I very often say this, you know, Everybody has agreed that if I get a geoconda, you know, or I don't know, the sunflowers from Bangkok, and I punch it through, that's wrong. Right? That will be terrible. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah. But if I let one species go, that's not. Because, well, there's many plants and they're all green. You know? Well, in my opinion, no piece of art is nowhere near the level of the qualities that a species of plant or animal has. From the artistic level in itself is a million times better. You know, because uh, just look at a plant. You got, you got a structure and then you see something else. And inside this structure, you see something else. You see some cells. Inside the cells, there is some chloroplast. Inside the chloroplast, there are some chemicals. 
and yet it has, you know, they say, oh, this painting is from the 17th century. Well, this plant is from 65 million years ago. <laughs> yeah. It makes yeah, sense. True. Um, yeah. Hawaii didn't exist. Colombia was having a coffee with uh, Portugal, you know. So, so, yeah, it's kind of somehow quite amazing that we are still at the stage that we have to convince people, sometimes even people in our sector, you know, of horticulture and, and science. And the, and the thing too is just like, I am totally aware that it's not going to be possible to save them all. But if we start with the premise that we lose half and it will be fine, then we are going to lose three quarters. If you know what I mean, shoot for the moon, go for it. And also, that is not the way it works at so many levels that is in, is incredible. Even though it's a very common accepted thing that, oh, well, we have to choose, there is a few resources. Then another thing that doesn't work with this is that when you are working with things, you always, you should not forget that you very often rely on funding, paperwork, and permits, collaboration with somebody else's, and time. Uh, you can say, oh, well, let's uh, focus into the most important things only. Well, some of those, you will have funding for them. Some of them, you wouldn't have time. You may be not the right person to do this because you don't have the, the specific facilities. So my advice is, like, if you manage to get together all these kinds of crisscross of paperwork, contacts, and stuff, do it. Because that's the real reality of what we face, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's not about me choosing where to go because at the end of the day, we are not going to choose it. It's like the circumstances have put in a place in which I have an opportunity to do something. And if you have, grab it. Yeah, the resources are, are a huge limitation on what can be achieved all the time. Exactly, exactly. But then that is used to say, well, then we have to be selective. And it's like, well, yeah, but no, because even from that angle, is more like, I have the contacts, I have the paperwork, I have the funding, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, at, the, at the moment, the situation is, much, is, is, is not even at the level in which we could then manage these resources we have to use it for the most important things because that's not the way the reality works. And I was going to say, do you think that this growing role of horticulture, you were talking about the horticultural influencers, the plant influencers on Instagram, and do you think there's a role for changing the perception of horticulture, not necessarily just through social media, but through any way of public engagement in these conversations that we're having, whereby we can enact a stronger change through the power that horticulture gets to have in conservation of plants? Uh, yeah, well, I guess that everything has some risks, no? Uh, I think there is something quite strange happening at the moment, you know, and... Um, for example, if you look at people like me, which works in botanic gardens, on social media, you will struggle to find somebody which has a follow-up of more than 10,000 people. Suddenly, some kind of folk on, I don't know, maybe New York or Thailand or Italy with a windowsill has 150,000 people following it. And then I think probably they both need to be slapped in the face, no? <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> well, because the guy from the Botanic Garden, like me, failed to provide perhaps interest to reach this level and then have this level of audience. And the one which have the 150,000 maybe has been exposing himself in underwears with a monstera on the lap to wait to them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so I think it's down to both. Yeah. 
I think we are all letting ourselves down on this, if that makes sense. I mean, I have zero problems with people having huge follow-up just because they come dancing semi-naked. And I have zero problems with you being an introvert gardener which doesn't want to put pictures of your life on social media, too. But uh, I think something has to happen. We need to use that power more from the angle of uh, proper horticulture and, and botanic gardens. But it's up to us. I'm not going to blame it into the other ones have more followers. If you know what I mean? It's like I think the problem is us. We, we haven't been playing the right things um, or maybe dedicating it enough time. Or maybe, as you say, there is a responsibility on both sides. Maybe there no, will no. be, you know, there's, there will be jobs in the future that we just don't even know about yet. Yes. Whereby people who are very tech savvy, very, you know, good at being influencers, will be able to collaborate with horticulturalists and scientists to bring integral messages to a large audience. Yes. I think the problem is that these things take a lot of your time, you know. Um, I notice how in horticulture, at least, I don't know in other disciplines, but the people which is busy working with them, with the adult plants um, and doing the adult science, they don't have as many time to also be a full-time influencer because even mm -hmm. though even though very often some of these influencers, they look like, oh, I'm here having a, a cup of tea on my living room with my plants. Actually, that picture took three days yeah. to set. So it's, 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 a, uh, it's a kind of paradox, you know, that the people which has a lot of focus and um, skills too, because you have to have skills for this, you know, to do good pictures and to play the the kind of hashtag shorts of like tactics, tac that, and then the algorithms and all yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as easy as this, but, um, you know, recently I put a picture of a cat wandering in front of the pal house and he got more likes on my profile in Instagram than <laughs> the most amazing plant ever, you know? Yeah. And, and I just thought, like, basically, I don't know, maybe the formula is conservation plant, throw a cat, eh, have a baby, <laughs> and then bang, you know, eh, the, the thing works. I don't know. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what we have to do, but we have to do something about using this social media. Because it's getting to the point, especially now with the pandemic and the people staying at home, it's like, if it didn't happen in social media, apparently it didn't happen. No, because everything gets delivered to us by there. You know, yeah. you know we don't watch TV anymore. And even if we watch YouTube, we will have the clip put into a social media platform. So, yeah, there is clearly a space there. Also because it's where people is starting to learn, too. You know, there True, is yes. now courses online on everything, from botanical drawing to how to propagate your monstera. I guess that everything is a process, and then we don't know what is coming next, you know. Yeah. Maybe the influencer, as we know it today, will become 100 times bigger or perhaps people will get tired of it and will want to move into some other concept. Yeah. I think perhaps even after this pandemic, there's going to be a lot of wanting for people to be able to be present and do things offline. I think there's going to be a big role for that. And perhaps I was going to ask just off of social media even, what might horticulture what direction might it be heading in in the future in kind of exciting ways that could influence plant conservation that that's getting you excited? Well, I guess that that's difficult to see, but something which um, uh, something which is exploding now in horticulture is the robotization, isn't it? Ro like robots, mm. yeah. I mean, it sounds like science fiction, but 
For example, since Canada and the US legalize cannabis, that changes the business a lot because As robots. Yeah, well, the artificial intelligence and, and plants. Because before, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Before, for example, uh, getting an increase of production of two percent on wheat didn't really make a difference. Yeah. Because occasionally, sometimes we will have too much wheat. But when they set these laws on cannabis, they say you have a concession to grow, I don't know, a hundred square meters, um, let's say a hundred plants. If you increase a two percent on this surface mm -hmm. and in this number of plants. That makes for the salary of two people a year, perhaps. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so they start putting a lot of money, like lots, into the tech side of it. For example, the lights, the irrigation systems, the research of the compost, the research of the fertilizers, how to administer it, how to dissipate the heat of this and this and that. Not, I mean, obviously, this thing is older than... than this thing of growing cannabis and stuff, but when it's illegal, you cannot do research in public and provide, yeah. you know, but the minute they got legalized, and I, I was watching videos of like, uh, you know, uh, how when a particular plant is water just because the tips of the leaf go down and then an infrared thing detected, so a thing comes in a yeah. rail and waters this plant, which is also used for other type of horticulture. So in a way, this is a bit scary because kind of removes so much the figure of the gardener or the horticulturist, but it also opens other things which are not cannabis related, like city farms yeah. and growing food in roofs of buildings and in kind of networks of, uh, you know, underground places where in Paris where nobody uses it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And can reduce a lot of uh, water usage, So that is uh, one thing that it seems to be coming to our town, you know, the kind of like robotic cultivation of things, including breaking seeds out and then uh, monitoring everything and, and the grower getting notifications and perhaps being able to live in California and manage a nursery in Australia. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. At a kind of home level, it's amazing how... Uh, I remember a few years ago, the horticultural lights will be these fluorescent tubes, you know, the grow looks, which will turn your house into a purple thing. Yeah. yeah. And that they need to be changed every year. I fail in that. You have to use halogen lights, which maybe is 400 watts. God knows if you're going to set on fire your house. Yeah. But now the LED technology is just like amazing, you know, because you have all these small things which are like bulbs that fit in any kind of bulb fitting. So you don't have to buy transformers and things, and then very quickly you start lighting up your windowsill with a very low consumption rate, with a very low heat output, and that has open the possibilities for people to do crazy things, like having maybe, I don't know, 150 types of corals on a glass box on your kitchen counter. Yeah. Just by using a LED light and a few other technologies, which they were not possible before. So... This opens the possibilities of having micro NOAS arcs going on around, you know? Yeah. And um, I think it will be a mistake not to use this. It's something which is always in the back of my head. I think, like, hold on a minute. You know, it's because it's also interesting how when I, I was born in the 70s, early 70s, I think I catch the last of this. Um, I think before the 60s, when there was no TV, because, I mean, 
it's very easy to forget. But in, before the sisters, there, sisters, there was no TV. Yeah, people didn't have so much entertainment, and then having exotic birds and exotic fish and exotic plants and exotic, you name it, was widespread. And it's interesting how, as a result of the pandemic, somehow we are going back that way, isn't it? To get interested in all these things that yes. are far off because we're we're trapped. Yeah, we are trapped. We are. we are trapped at home. Uh, you know, I want take away diversity, biodiversity. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. Want, <laughs> yeah, I just want that piece of that coral which I chuck in there and then it starts growing. I want this piece of this plant which I put in a plastic bag and it starts growing. Yeah. Um, you know, is 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 kind of like a you know just like a plant needs. Fertilizers, light, CO2, water, blah, blah. It seems that we also need this biodiversity contemplation. Yeah. No? Yeah. Um, I mean, that seems very sensible. Yes. Because just think about, I was telling you a minute ago about, suddenly, you know, I go like, I don't know if it's Monday or Tuesday, but I know it's March because the cherry trees are blooming. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I will be in December. Um, it kind of, to me, it grounds you into a moment and into a landscape, you know. Basically, wherever I land in a country where I could travel, you look through the window and you go like, yeah, I'm in Australia. And it's yeah. because of the plants. You can um, orientate yourself through it. For yes. Sure. Um, there is the, the, the problem that if you are a person that travels a lot and is busy and stuff, maybe you think you're not going to have time for all of this. But now that we have been confined at home, we all been thinking about like, you know, how I'm going to get me out of here, even yeah. though by bringing it in here, you know, because I'm going to be thinking about this. I don't know. It transports you to transports yeah. you to other type of. Uh, and maybe if you're not keeping it in your house after that, you'll have recognized that connection of the, the plant having taken you someplace else. So when you're going someplace else, you'll see the plant in that place a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know if there is a word for this, uh, but I think you need to see living things. At least that's my case, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I need it. It's part of my diet. I need to observe changes on things, and I need to see things growing and developing. And I, I, I don't really know why, but I think some of us needs to have this really slow-moving, growing thing in the windows and because it grows very slow, we need to have a hundred so that something happens every day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we're, we're running out of time a little bit, um, okay. but just, just before we wrap up, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about getting curious about plants and getting excited about plants and what that can really do for, for people. And I really hope this episode has inspired some people listening to it. And I just wanted to ask, maybe, I mean, your book would maybe be a good place to go if people were curious or excited, but are there other things that you'd maybe point people towards to just tune into nature a bit more and get interested in plants and see where it takes them? Well, I guess that one exercise to make is try to get out of town, get into some sort of forest, sit in there and wait for an hour you know, and listen what you listen and see what happens and see what moves and then wonder yourself why. Especially now in the spring, yeah, I think you will be surprised about how many birds are singing and doing their things and, and then which birds are flying nearby and, and why. And in the process, in getting in there and getting out, 
how many plants you have found and seen and which ones you know the names and which ones you didn't. Because even myself, I don't know half of it. The birds especially. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I know the birds quite well, interestingly. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, I, I was but, you know, I, I, was like, I was like a, 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 in Richmond Park recently in the bike, and I was riding, I was seeing these small flowers in the side, and then I stopped, and I was like, what's this? I was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, and you know, it's just like, uh, probably I can find out. But then uh, some people will feel like, oh my God, you know, I, I was working in a botanic garden and then in Richmond Park in the side of the road and there is a small plant which I haven't seen before. Well, actually, that's the amazing thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I knew every single plant upon I look at it, probably I would be into fish or something else. Yeah. Because that's exactly the magic of it. Wonder what is this? Where it is going? Where it is coming? What's the name? And why is here and why is not? Yeah. That's the, the most fantastic thing. Because we live in a society too that basically the first question is what are you doing? How are you doing? You know, what are you doing? How are you doing? You have to be doing something, apparently. Right? That's true, yeah. I am asking you to do the opposite. Do nothing. And the best place of doing nothing is in nature. Because nature does it for you. Yeah. So basically, you just go there and what you do is contemplate. Please do this. You know, even <laughs> if it's just for an hour and even if it's just once a week, do nothing. It's just like, forget about that. You have to pay bills. Forget about what problems are coming. Forget about if you are going to be working in here or not. Forget about all of that. Just sit and watch. And that, I think, is kind of like going to the gym for the muscles, but for your brain, you know. Mm -hmm. And I will be surprised if there is nothing that happens that catches your attention and makes you wonder something, you know. And we all need these moments of disconnecting from everything. Yeah. Not only the problems, but even the fun. You know, don't do fun. Don't go having fun. Just go and have nothing. Sit yeah. and watch. You know. And I think you will find much. You will feel much better after, and you will start opening um, small rabbit holes that, you know, if you are lucky, you will fall through it, and then it will get you to something else. Yeah, it's the start of an adventure, really. Yes. It's amazing how I, I am now working on things which I have interest when I was like seven years old. And I am finding now that, you know, some of the discoveries or the understandings happen all along for the last 30 years, even though I hadn't worked on it. Just by your brain thinking like, hold on a minute, I make myself a question. I don't have an answer, but that question remains in your background. So whenever you see an answer, you will catch it. If you haven't had your question in your brain, you may have seen it passing in front of you and you wouldn't have catched that answer because you didn't have the question. Yeah. So there is that part of the process which is leave time. You know, ask yourself questions. You will get some answers every day. You will get some things that they are not answered for a lifetime, but then when they do, they are quite amazing. And yeah, what to do? Do nothing. It's fine. That sounds achievable. I think that it's, sounds an achievable goal. No, no, no. I know, I know. But it's, it's more difficult than you think it is. That's true, yeah. You would have to be patient. Do nothing. Do nothing. Go away. Go away of you. You know, yeah. of you yeah. and your environment and go and watch what is out there. And this can be practiced pretty much in every corner of the planet. And it's nothing magical or metaphysical. Even though it is, it isn't. It's, it's called life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, what a way to end an episode. It's called life. <laughs> and 
thank you so much for for coming on and speaking to me it's been it's been an absolute pleasure it's been really really fun and i think everyone's going to really enjoy this thank you thank you very much thank you for inviting me you know it's it's always an honor rather than you know uh oh my god i have to do this i always enjoy talking to people and i am always glad to be contacted for any kind of discussion you know yeah Uh, what's the best way to contact you if somebody does want to start a discussion well uh, i guess that you could find me in social media instagram facebook twitter the ones i use more often is uh, facebook and instagram yeah i guess that that is where people get me often i I could i could get you emails and things but you know if you if you look my name probably will pop up it's interesting uh, yeah it's interesting how in the pandemic I was giggling about how, you know, a pandemic happens, Twitter goes academic, giving references about rates of infection and stuff. Yeah. Facebook goes into, oh my God, everybody runs, the end of the world is coming. But, <laughs> yeah. but Instagram, there is no, still, they it still didn't got a message, the memo, that there is COVID, isn't it? They just, <laughs> keep, they just keep hashtag lifetime and stuff, like, yeah. you know, like, la, la, la. Uh, so I am in the three of them and, and yeah. You can probably contact with me. Contact him, yeah. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the final episode of Plants and Our Health. If you'd like to muse on how to save the plants of the world with Carlos, you can reach him on Twitter at plantmessiah or by email at c.magdalena at q.org. You can also find his book in the plantsy sections of most good bookshops and it's a very inspiring and entertaining read. I can highly recommend it. If you've been with us since the start, we want to give you a particularly big thanks for supporting us all along the way. Without you, we'd have just been shouting into the void. So we hope you've had just as much fun as we have. And if you haven't been here since the start, well, the episodes are still all available. So what are you waiting for? You can catch up in your own good time. Thank you as well to all of our guests. Your expertise and stories have really been the body of this podcast. So thank you for helping me to tell the story of Plants in Our Health. And please, everyone, do share the series with your friends and your family. All of us behind this project have a lot of love for plants. And we'd love for the message of this podcast to get around as much as possible. There may well be more to come from Plants in Our Health in the future. There's a few people we're talking to just now about some potential exciting collaborations, but I won't spoil the surprises. For our mini-series, that's us finished. This final, ultimate, last episode of Plants in Our Health was produced by Aaron DeVere and brought to you by Not Another Science podcast from the Edinburgh University Science Magazine, where we explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work, and find out about the science being done right here in Edinburgh. If you have any feedback for us, or if you'd like to get in touch with a question or a suggestion, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Edinburgh University Science Media, or on our Twitter, at USCI. That's at E-U-S-C-I. You can also shoot us an email at usci.podcast at gmail.com, and you can see the show notes and leaf through the latest issue of the magazine at usci.org.uk. Not Another Science Podcast is hosted by me, Tom Edwick, and my partner in crime, Helena Cornu. The podcast manager is Alex Bailey. The podcast logo was designed by USI Chief Editor, Apple Chu, and the tree-rific episode art for this series was designed by Heather Jones, our social media and marketing genius. Thank you for listening, and remember... Always keep it leafy.